How old are you? Eighteen. Yeah? Do you have a bow? No. Are you a student? Yes, I was to sit for the university exam. I bet you are good at your studies. Am I right? Yes. <clears throat> a petty bureaucrat of the name. Did they hurt you badly? Yes. I bet they did. Do you know what kind of place this is? Yes, Mama, I think so. Good. And we have no problems. I expect my girls to be well behaved and clean. That's all. I provide a bed, food, and clothing. If things are good, everyone gets a little. If things are bad, then Mama eats first. Am I making myself clear? Good. That was Jenny Jules and Rachel Holmes as Mama Nadi and Sophie in Arena Stage's current production of Lynn Nottage's play, Roomed, which is directed by Charles Randolph Wright. Welcome to Artworks, the program that goes behind the scenes with some of the nation's great artists to explore how art works. I'm your host, Josephine Reed. The 2009 Pulitzer Prize-winning play, Ruined, tells the story of Mama Nadi and her establishment. Lynn Nottage loosely based it on Berthold Brecht's Mother Courage and Her Children, but moved the action to the war-torn Democratic Republic of Congo. Mama Nadi provides a refuge of sorts for a handful of women, most of whom had been gang-raped for months by soldiers and then rejected by their families. That the refuge is a brothel and that Mama Nadi is a madam, both protecting and using her girls, underscores the complexity of the situation in which these women find themselves. Prostitution is one of the few alternatives open to them. Although in the case of Sophie, she's been so brutalized, she is ruined, useless as a prostitute. But she can keep accounts and she sings, so Mama reluctantly takes her in. Ruined is a powerful play that looks unflinchingly at the violence women endure during war. But there's poetry among the brutality, and moments of humor and joy are presented along with the fear and the sorrow. Charles Randolph Wright directed the current production of Ruined. He's a playwright as well as a director, with a long and varied career. He's directed many plays, among them Guys and Dolls, Through the Night, and Porgy and Bess. His writing credits include Blue, Just Between Friends, and the screenplay The Emmett Till Story. When I spoke with Charles, I asked him if it was daunting to take on this new production of Ruined. Absolutely. It's daunting merely because of the subject matter. And then at, at Arena, it's specifically daunting because it's in the Fitander, which is in the round. So there are all these challenges to do a piece like this. Lynn Nottage wrote this. The most important thing for me was that I was able to give a production that she would be proud of, that would speak her words in the way that she wanted them. And ultimately, I want to honor the women that Lynn based this play upon. That in there, I feel their spirits, I feel their energy, I feel especially their joy because we know the devastation and the sorrow. So it was very important to me that we lift these women up in this production. So that's what guided me in dealing with something that was so daunting. 
Okay, here's my question to you, because when I saw it, what struck me is that with a play like Ruined, because it is so powerful, you want to honor and respect it, but you don't want to genuflect to it. Exactly. You really wanted to have life. And you did. You did that wonderfully well, but it would seem to me a bit of a juggling act. It is a juggling act, and it is difficult because the piece takes place in a brothel, so there's a sexuality that needs to exist. There's violence that must exist in this, and all of those things. I had to realize that we had to put in this piece. It's written there, but also because we're in the round, it's much more prominent. It's really in your face. It's raw. And when you're there in a proscenium space, you have the protection of the fourth wall. You have that protection where you can sit back and say, oh, that's over there. And in this space, you cannot. And each side, in a way, gets a different view of this world because each side has its own thing. And you see all of these different things happening. So I was very aware of making this work in the round, which was completely challenging, but also thrilling because it's honest. You can't be dishonest in that space. How did you go about moving from page to stage? When did you get the actors up on their feet? And again, because you are in the round, it's a challenge for them too. Yes. Well, I'm notorious for not staying at the table too long. A lot of people will do a lot of table work, which I don't like to do as much. And I often say that actors hate me the first week and then they love me by the time we're in previews because they know what they're doing. And I think especially in this piece, and also this wasn't a new play, so we didn't have to do the work that normally you would do on a new play. It's perfection to me. I adore the words. So I was able to get this play up earlier. Also, all of the actors came so prepared. They had done their research, they had done their work, they came in with their questions, and it was easier to answer questions on our feet than sitting around a table. So it happened very, very quickly that we were up and we were doing runs very early on. But that was also important to me because there are a lot of younger people in this company, and I wanted to protect them from the emotion that would overwhelm them with this, from what was going to happen. None of us were sleeping through this process. It's very difficult, and especially people who had not done this kind of work before, I knew that as director I had to make them comfortable enough to go to a place that's really disturbing. And every night, for example, the cast gets together before they do the show and they form a circle, and at the end of the evening they form a circle again so that they leave the Congo on stage and they don't take this home with them and into their lives because it is omnipresent. It's very difficult to let this go. So it was a huge challenge and I knew that part of my job as director was protecting them. It's a very difficult process and again you want to honor every aspect of this process. And the thing that surprised people when they would come by the rehearsal room is how much fun we were having because we had such a great time in rehearsal. And it, I, I knew that even more than anything I'd done that this had to be a joyous process. There are two things I found very surprising in the play. and One of them was the joyousness that the play has. And the second was the music. Both of them are, are written into the play, but I, I knew from the beginning that it was very important to bring them out. That as far as we could go with the joy, as far as we would go with the music, that's how far in the other direction the, the violence can go. 
it's truly a, a roller coaster and peaks and valleys. And the joy is hope. And I ultimately find this a hopeful piece. And my greatest hope, as is Lynn's, is that it causes people to do something. It causes people to be aware that this is not over there. We're a global community now. We're not just people, in this case, in Washington, D.C. This affects all of us. They are us. And the joy was such a great part of this. And I didn't even realize how much it was in the play in reading it until we got up on our feet and worked on it. And just so many points and so many moments where you could bring out that because of the humanness of these people and making these characters as real as possible brought out the joy. It brought out the fact that they were they were girls. They were barely out of their teenage years, these, these the three lead women in this, you know, besides Mama Nutty. The soldiers are young. They're kids. It's really horrifying. I expanded the cast for this production and used students from the University of Maryland. And especially in this production, it's the one time where using students was quite appropriate because they were age appropriate. Also, I wanted to protect them, but what an experience it has been watching them learn the ways of professional theater because they're still in school, learning what this process is, learning the world of the Congo because I don't know how much any of them had thought about it. And just yesterday, there was a very disturbing article in, in the press about how the, the, the rate, that the rape rate, over a thousand women in the Congo are raped every day every day. And Lynn actually emailed this to me, and I just thought how imperative it is what we're doing, especially in this city where it can make a difference, where people can do something, where our lawmakers, our policymakers, people who deal with, especially with foreign policy, we must do something. We can't sit back because it does affect us. It does change us. And Hearing that a thousand women raped, over a thousand women raped today is, it, that's unfathomable. Even after doing this piece, it still, it, it, it attacks me. And I just realize that we have so much to do. I think what you're talking about as well is the ability of art to make one feel. Because a thousand women raped a day, we have a sense of it, but it's it's mainly a statistic. But when we go into the world of Sophie or Salima, they're fictional, but at the same time, that instance becomes real. I received an email from someone who said that they literally forgot that these people were actors and the curtain call happened and it stunned them because they were so entrenched in the world. That's the greatest compliment you could ever receive. But they were so entrenched in this world of these people. And I know that now when they read the paper and see these statistics, it's no longer over there. It's now something that's present because they have met Sophie and Salima and Mama Nadi and Josephine. And they've had this experience. They've shared this experience with them. And that is the power of art. That is the power that we can entertain, but we can also challenge and change and and be didactic in a way that is helpful. That's what I love about doing this. But the challenge, and I think the challenge that Ruined and this production of Ruined meets, is that nobody wants to go to the theater and see a didactic piece. Exactly. 
Exactly. And I was very aware of that in that process. The script is not that way. So it was imperative to me that, as we were talking, the joy comes out, the music. Most productions, I think, have two musicians. And of course, I doubled them. And I wanted to really make people realize that the lyrics are storytelling. Because I've done so many musicals, you know, I use that skill or that that gene, my musical gene, and how to make the music a part of this world. But as one one of the musicians who's Uganda said, you can't do a piece that's African and not have music. You can't really fully express it because it's such a part of the fabric of their lives, what music does and represents and how it feels to them. So I wanted it to be a part of that world and also to make the musicians part of Mama Nadi's, not just, oh, there's some musicians playing you know, the songs that are in the play, that they are characters in this world. They, uh, they each have their identities and we created characters for them and they have, a, they have a through line. All of the characters in this have an arc and a through line and it was thrilling to watch musicians turn into actors and come to me with things and thinking, would, would my character do this? I mean, musicians, it was, it was so different <laughs> because a lot of times you you have to force musicians to they want to do what's they want to play their notes but they also were so involved in this world and we were very fortunate because we had the musicians from the beginning typically they would come in at the end and and would feel like a different part of the process you know they would feel separate from the process we had them in the rehearsal room with us so they went through everything with us and are actors. They're not musicians in this piece. They're they're characters like everyone else. And of course it fits in with the world of the brothel and the bar. Yes. Yeah. But the way scene two opens, we, we meet Sophie in scene one and what does Mama Nadi say? She looks used. Yes, worn. Worn. Yes. She looks worn. Scene two opens and she's singing and it's an extraordinary moment. The transformation that comes over her while she's singing. about what that meant and also with the musicians and that journey for her as that character, what what all of that was. All of the actors are so tremendous. I cannot praise them enough because they just wanted to go deeper and deeper. Um, Rachel, who plays Sophie, an incredible voice. She's an incredible singing voice. She's an incredible actress, but she wanted to sing as Sophie. You know, she wanted to have that trajectory and that arc as Sophie. And because I'm also a musician, we we were able to communicate that and to try and to really tell that story musically and not just all oh, the actors singing. And it, and it's it is thrilling to see an audience take that journey and get it, to really get what's happening to her through that music. It's also a challenge I would think 
not to have those three girls, not Mama Naughty, certainly, but those three girls just seen as victim. Yes. There's a complexity to all of them that this production brings out. And, of course, Mama Naughty at the center being the most marvelously ambivalent person who protects them and uses them at the same time. And both things are absolutely true. Yes. We were at a a talk back and I was with Jenny and this woman said, I don't know how to feel about you. And we, we loved it because it is that. As she said, the girls are safer with her than they are in their own homes. You know, she gives them this protection, but at the same time, you know, what side is she on? Let all the mother-hating soldiers fight it out. Because in the end, do you think that will change anything here? God only knows. The main road is crowded with folks heading east. There's no shame in leaving, Mama. Part of being in business is knowing when to cut our losses and get out. I have the only pool table in 50 kilometers. Where will people drink if anything happens to me? Eventually, you must fly your colors. Take a side. He pays me in gold. He pays me in cold time. What is worth more? You tell me. What is their argument? I don't know. Who will win? Who cares? Who is she? What is this? What a complex, extraordinary character. And Jenny Jules, who is an actress from London, who is just astonishing. And she's... Mama on stage and off stage, she's really the anchor of the company, which Mama obviously would be. And she's the one that pulls them together. And as I said, in these, in, in the warm-ups and also in the, the final circle, you know, she's the one that leads them to let this go. And it takes her a while. As she says, she has to sit in the dressing room and just let that go. It's, it's such a thing. And she goes there completely every performance. Working with her working with everyone in this company, was life-changing. We all went through, experienced something in this that's indescribable because it's been, it's been on so many levels. And then to watch the audience, to take the experience with them, I came back in town on Sunday night and I just came in and watched the final scene. And in the audience Sunday night were Friends of the Congo. First of all, the audience, because you get to see the audience, it was so colorful. The outfits just made me smile the second I went in. And the responses were just breathtaking. And at the curtain call, when they came out for the curtain call, everyone was standing, but the the first few roles were all the friends of the Congo, and they were bowing to the actors. And I just broke down you know, I just broke down crying in the audience because I, I'd never seen it like that. I've never seen that happen. And uh, Jeremiah, who plays Christian, said literally they had to take me, peel me up off the floor because I knew we had done the exact right thing when people, the ambassador from the Congo came to opening and she said, she said, there's just so many small things that were so right. You know, the overall picture, you, you know, but it's that. I, I'm about details. I'm about the world of this and being as authentic as possible, but also being theatrical, also honoring the tradition. And watching those people bow to the actors is something I'll never forget. That's why we do what we do. It's just really restored me and what theater can do and is supposed to do. And yes, you can have these great things that that you just enjoy, but to be able to enjoy, to be entertained, and to really feel to your core. I I don't know how many many experiences in a career that you get this way, but to have had this experience is something that I will never forget. 
Irina is committed to keeping a dialogue with the audience going about the subjects raised by the play, and they do it in a number of ways with forums and with talkbacks. And I know you've been involved in a few of them. What did you hear from the audience? Well, it's interesting because I remember one woman specifically saying she was completely unaware that this was happening over there. I just just never knew that. I said, well, and several of us said, it's happening here. I said, you know, when football players in a southern town rape a 12-year-old girl, when you have these experiences, that, that packed mentality that happen when men lose control, and unfortunately it's aimed at women, rape becomes a weapon. And I said, this is really imperative for us to understand that it's it's in our backyard. And it was interesting watching people being surprised that, that the actors are not African, which is thrilling, that they didn't realize that because I really wanted, again, to have verisimilitude is a great word. I wanted to have that verisimilitude that people really believe they're in the Congo as opposed to, oh, look at these actors pretending to be African. And many actors in the company are. You know, I mean, we the first day I had everyone talk about their backgrounds and, you know, so two are Nigerian, one's Ugandan, one is South African, one has family in Jamaica. And all of our experiences talking about being first generation or second generation or all these stories, those stories have mingled on stage and have imbued these characters because there is this this authenticity, this honesty. And so... In the talkbacks, people being riveted by the performances, but also being very moved to do something and wanting to do something. And that's what is the most encouraging. We mentioned it earlier, but I'm always impressed by the power of art to be transformative. Yes. And how storytelling is at the heart of everything that means something to us, I think. I live in New York City when I'm not living in the airport. (laughs) And 9-11, I was actually on my bicycle. I lived downtown, and I used to bike by the World Trade Center every day, and and I was getting on my bike when this happened and about to head downtown. And that evening, a friend of mine who's a retired general in the Army called me, and just to see how I was, and which he got through because the cell phone service was impossible. And I, I went to college to be a doctor. And I said to him, I really feel so useless. I wish I were a doctor. I want to be able to help all these people. I feel I, I, I can't do anything. You know, I should have been a doctor. And I was just, I was really frantic. And he said to me, art is the salve that heals our wounds. And you have healed far more people with what you do than you ever would have as a doctor. It's remained with me, and that was 10 years ago. It, I, I think of that, and when you actually get to do something where you see it in action. When we did Sophisticated Ladies last year at the Lincoln in the theater where Duke Ellington started, and what happened to that neighborhood, the energy in the neighborhood, the pride of that, being able to go beyond those walls, extend into the community and make a difference. There's so many things like that, to be able to have those experiences. I am so blessed, I am so fortunate that I've been able to do the work I get to do. You were in school to be a doctor. What made you decide theater <laughs> is going to be my life? It was actually, I actually saw a show that did it, and it was the show Pippin. And I was in an organic chemistry lab, and my roommate, who lives in D.C., 
<laughs> my roommate had tickets for this touring company of the show and his girlfriend was ill and he said, I have this extra ticket. Now, anything to get out of lab. I was like, great, let me go. And I went to see this show and overnight, I mean, I'd always been interested. I played instruments in, in high school and grew up musical, but that was not something I was pursuing. I was going to be a doctor. And overnight, I changed. Overnight, I knew the show completely impacted me in a way that I realized that I had to pursue it. And my mother's an English professor, and she always used to say there was a quote, a man's reach should exceed his grasp for what's a heaven for, Frederick Pearls. And she would always say that, and I realized the pursuit of the dream is far more important than the dream. I've been very fortunate that I've had so many dreams come true, but it's always about the pursuit to me. And I knew that I had to do that because I said, I can always go back to med school. I want, I want to try this. And 30 years later, <laughs> yeah, it's, been, it's been quite the journey. You know, I was a performer. I, get, I write, I direct, I worked in television, I work in film, I work in theater. I do all the things that I've wanted to do. And you watch something, I stand and I watch Ruined and I just say, thank you. I'm just so grateful that I am able to tell stories. As you mentioned, you're a playwright. You're, you have to be probably one of the best hyphenates out there. <laughs> it, ju it just goes on and on and on and on and on. As my name is hyphenated, too. I guess it's part of that, right? Yes. I don't know. <laughs> well, because you're a playwright as well, is there a difference in the way you direct your own work or, or approach the task of directing your own work as opposed to directing somebody else's play, like Lynn Nottage's Ruined? As a director, I obviously have that writer head, so I really respect what is on the page and know that I must honor what's on the page. And before we even did this production, I said to Lynn Nottage, what do you want in this production that you've been unable to get somewhere else? What can I give you? And I think the idea of the scope of this production, because actors had to double in the other productions. You know, One actor would be the bad guy in one scene and turn around and be on the opposing of uh, the opposing soldier in another scene so and in proscenium it's easier to suspend that belief but in here and these these spaces are so distinct i i could not do that so i had to increase the size of course arena loves me with budgets i had to increase the size of the production she had always wanted jenny jules to play this role jenny did it in london and i made it my goal to get Jenny here to play Mama Nadi. I didn't realize truly how imperative that was until she came. The first day we started rehearsals, I just went, I have been given the greatest gift there is with this actress. So I approached this in the way realizing the writer's path, realizing how do I get out of the way and let the words do what they're supposed to do? How do I place them in the best possible way that you can interpret what this writer intended or what this writer didn't even know, just to give it a view and try not to put my view on top of that. Try to be as open in displaying the journey as I can. And I think because that's what I want when I'm a writer, and I don't like to write and direct at the same time. I really love the collaboration. I mean, I've done it, but I love that collaboration. And typically when I've been in both roles, I was co-writing or something, so I still had that collaboration. It's the respect 
It's the love of the words and love of what this is that I try to bring to everything I do. So I think that's the, the best thing I can do is get out of the way and make it have the life it should have. Mojambile tatu ini. That was Charles Randolph Wright. He's the director of the current production of Lynn Nottage's Ruined, now playing at the arena stage. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. Adam Campy is the musical supervisor. Excerpts from Ruined use courtesy of Arena Stage. Special thanks to actors Jenny Jules, Rochelle Holmes, and Lawrence Redman, as well as musicians Mongezi Christaka, Waldo Robertson, David Foreman, and Daniel Suna, as well as sound designer Lindsay Jones. The Artworks podcast is posted every Thursday at www.arts.gov. And now you can subscribe to Artworks at iTunes U. Just click on the iTunes link on our podcast page. Next week, author Sean Wilentz discusses his biography of Bob Dylan. To find out how art works in communities across the country, keep checking the Artworks blog or follow us at NEA Arts on Twitter. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening. Oh, no, I am-